This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. You're listening to episode 145, Marriage Burnout, of the In-Between Podcast, where you'll discover the tools to build a marriage and family that you love. My name is Daniel Lim. And I'm Christina M. Today, we have the amazing privilege to chat with Carrie and Tony Newhoff about marriage burnout. We're going to be talking about how to protect your marriage, heal from past hurts, and move forward together. You know, I think we can all remember a time where we have personally been burning the candle from both ends and we're approaching our own personal burnout. But have you ever considered that your marriage could possibly experience burnout as well? Yeah, Daniel, I love that we are exploring this topic because if we name it, then we can address it, right? Mm -hmm. There is so much talk about self-care and how we can protect ourselves from personal burnout, which is good and true and necessary. And you know what? There are also tools out there to protect our marriages from burnout too. But if we don't know the warning signs of a relationship burnout, then by the time we actually apply these tools, it may be too late. As we were thinking about who we would want to explore this topic with, Carrie and Tony Newhoff immediately popped into our minds. Not only have Carrie and Tony both written books about personal and relational burnout, but they've also walked through it in their own marriage and have lived to tell the tale. In Tony's book, Before You Split, Find What You Really Want for the Future of Your Marriage, she shares a story about a season of their marriage where she literally ripped the ring off her finger and threw it at her husband. Mm -hmm. To be honest, I completely identified with this story because I did something quite similar. Looking back, I wasn't actually asking Daniel for a divorce, but it was my way of saying, without actually knowing how to say it with the words, I'm about to give up, I'm losing hope. I need you, but I don't feel like you're here for me. Yeah. So if you want a little bit of the backstory in that and our toughest year, just go to episode 144, the previous one, because we do get into that and some tools uh, in and around it. So Carrie's newest book, At Your Best, How to Get Time, Energy and Priorities Working in Your Favor, talks about building a life you no longer want to escape from. Uh, He talks about his personal burnout, which led to these marital challenges. So Carrie Newhoff is a best-selling author, speaker, podcaster, and former attorney. He's also a Canadian friend and fellow meat-smoking fanatic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, Tony Newhoff is an author, podcaster, and previous divorce lawyer. She has firsthand seen through her client's eyes what the journey through divorce and out the other side looks like. Both Carrie and Tony are such an incredible blessing to leaders and marriages alike. We'll link their books and their podcasts to our show notes at inbetween.org slash episode 145. And remember to listen to the very end as we introduce our newest segment called Today's Tool. We'll be talking about how complaining without blaming can be the tool you use today to build a marriage and family that you love. All right, so let's listen in. Tony, thank you so much for joining us on the In Between podcast. We have Canadian voices with us. Hey, how about that? Hello, Canada. For it's such a pleasure to Woo-hoo. have you. <laughs> exactly. So, 
Uh, podcast family, this is going to be an incredible episode because, well, first of all, we have uh, Carrie and Tony with us, but also, as we've talked about before in our podcast time and time again, the power of naming things, mm-hmm. whether it's your emotions or maybe the thoughts in your head of why do I feel the way that I feel, we want to explore with you, Carrie and Tony, the idea of marriage burnout. Now, Carrie, on your leadership podcast and in your books, you've talked a lot about your own burnout and your experiences with that as your individual burnout. So if you could tell our podcast family a little bit about that of your individual burnout and then the way it also affected your marriage too. Yeah, so um, Tony and I met in law school. Um, she was in my section and uh, at Osgood. I noticed her. She was not very interested in me at all, <laughs> but I pursued her. And so we ended up dating. We got married in law school. And then uh, I, I thought I was going to be a lawyer with my life, felt a call into ministry, left law, went to seminary, and started about an hour north of Toronto at these three little churches. So Tony, at that time, she was a pharmacist before she went to law school. So Mm. she was working in pharmacy uh, at the time because it paid a lot better than ministry and we could pay our bills with it and the whole deal. So she was working part time. And then I I came to these little tiny churches, not even sure that I was going to be a pastor because I felt like I didn't really have the gift set or the skill set for being a pastor. Anyway, um, things I stayed and we felt a call to these three little churches. I'm still part of that community 25 years later, but things started to grow very rapidly. There were three declining congregations that when they got a 30-year-old pastor in them, started to really grow by the grace of God. And so we grew from a handful of people to about 800 in a decade. And around that time, I burned out when I was 40, 41. I, you know, I'd been in leadership for a decade. I had no idea really how to lead at that level, had never been in a church that big. And we just had new people all the time. And I had a terrible formula for growth, which was more people equals more hours. And in ministry, it's Mm -hmm. confusing because you think, well, I'm doing this for Jesus, right? And around that time, um, I just got more and more tired, a little more cynical than I was used to. And we were running into like the malaise point of our marriage where there was a lot of pressure. I wasn't in great emotional space. Um, I'll let Tony speak for herself, but I think she would say she wasn't in the best emotional space either. And so it was kind of the perfect storm where everything came together for us about 15 years ago in 2006 when our marriage hit bottom, I hit bottom, and uh, I wouldn't wish burnout on an enemy But I went through a period where I probably could have been diagnosed with clinical depression and uh, just lost all my passion. I'm a very passionate person, very energetic person. That was all gone. Emotionally, I felt numb. And around that Mm -hmm. time, I hit the bottom of my leadership. So on the outside, everything was amazing. We were the fastest growing church in the country in our denomination. I think we were the second largest or the third largest in the country in our denomination. So we literally had people like flying in from coast to coast to find out how it was happening. And on the inside, I was dying. So there was the personal burnout that sort of coincided with our, Mm -hmm. our marriage as well. So as you take us through this time, Carrie, as you're going through this, and let's talk even in the church sphere, you know, a lot of people think or even preach that, hey, if you just draw closer to God, you'll get 
refreshed and renewed, or um, maybe if you just have an accountability partner, then you're going to be okay. So I know that that's sort of the philosophical up here, and that is true in the sense like we are going to draw closer to God, but in the nitty gritty day to day, where was that happening in your life? Yeah, we did hear that. I still hear that. Fortunately, not as prevalently Mm -hmm. as I did 15 years ago. And you know what's weird? I I felt like I was close to God. Like I had never stopped praying. I never stopped reading my Bible. We both loved Jesus. We both loved each other, but it was super challenging. And so we just ended up like in a place where I think we were close to God, but not really but not really. And like Mm -hmm. one of my favorite quotes, John Calvin, it's like, without knowledge of God, there's no knowledge of self. Without knowledge of self, there's no knowledge of God. Mm -hmm. And I actually, looking back on it now, 15 years later, when it's not nearly as painful as it was at the time or for the first 10 or 15 years, I I would say that was a process of sanctification, Mm -hmm. that God was very close in the process of burnout. Like these days, I'm leading a lot more than I did back then. Like we have, we have an insane amount of podcast traffic, blog traffic. I speak all over the world. If I think this was preparation, Hmm. if, if, if I had not burned out and maybe, maybe wiser people can, can do their devotions and get their life together. I think I had to hit a wall. And Hmm. so as a result, you know, I look back on that and I feel like that was preparation. God's like, some things are going to happen in your life. If you do not pay attention to these things at home and these things inside you, you're going to collapse under that pressure. Like you're collapsing under this. Let's go fix what's under that. Let's go. So it was a lot of counseling, a lot Mm -hmm. of coaching, a lot of prayer, a lot of self-reflection. And, you know, you, you, you look at it spiritually. On the outside, there was nothing wrong. But on the inside, I wasn't. Like I wasn't reflecting the fruits of the Holy Spirit yeah. um, in my home mm-hmm. or in the way I was leading. And now, you know, not every day is perfect, but way more than I was then. <laughs> so I would, I would just say, I think, I, and, and I, hear where, I hear where you're coming from, Christina, but that's like a false narrative. It's just, mm. it's a false narrative. Right. And almost every saint, if you look back to Teresa of Avila, you look at the desert fathers and mothers, they all had a, a John Chrys, you know, Chrysostom and others. A dark night of the soul. Yeah. And, yeah. and that was my dark night of the soul, but God is very present in the dark night of the soul. Yeah, we appreciate Amen. you, Carrie, sharing openly about that and 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 sharing with our podcast family um, what your side felt like and in through that all. Tony, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, what was your side like and in through this all? It was a struggle. It was honestly a, a time where I would say at the mm-hmm. lowest point, uh, Carrie was going through burnout at the same time that I was struggling with a mm-hmm. clinical depression. Of course, not really knowing that that's what was happening at the time until I got a diagnosis. Um, but it's a hard place to be at with you know both people, young young kids. Mm-hmm. Our kids were in middle school at that stage. Uh, both of us really feeling 
like it would took everything we had to just go through the you know the the basics of life right. like the survival part of life as as opposed to you know bringing what we would normally bring to our leadership to our parenting uh and so uh it it was definitely a time where uh i felt i had to lean into into god mm-hmm. like never before yeah. uh that was it it was uh probably providential for us that we had Ecclesiastes 4:12 as one of our wedding verses mm. that a cord of three strands is not quickly broken mm-hmm. and our understanding uh, of that verse is that the two of us together would be two strands and Jesus is the third one mm. and that even if t- the two of us are broken or feeling disconnected that um, Jesus is the strand that will still hold us together. And and I think that's a pretty apt description of what it felt like to go through that period. Hmm. Um, It was also a time where I, despite how I was feeling, it was critical for me to chase after self-awareness and humility Mm -hmm. because there we we'd gone through this long slow i would say descent into this spiral of conflict that that really had us stuck when we were at the bottom at least feeling like we were stuck right. you know feeling like any option it just feels like damage control mm-hmm. i i know what it's like to be in that place where you you, you know you really don't know what the future's going to look like but you know right now this relationship feels pretty miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, but the option of, of not having the relationship, you know, also has its own misery attached to it. So, um, but in that place, uh, I, I knew that, um, I think it was also providential that we heard a message. I heard a message about pride and humility, um, based on first Peter five, mm-hmm. where, um, Peter says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility for God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Yeah, sure. And at that point, um, in the middle of all those big emotions, the tough emotions, mm-hmm. uh, I still had to look to God and say, how is my pride showing up in this? Like, wow. Jesus, please shine your light on this darkness mm-hmm. um, because there are some things here that I'm going to have to own or we're not going to make it. And, um, and thankfully, um, God answers those prayers. And, you know, there were ways that significant ways that I needed to change. I needed to own my behavior. I needed to apologize to Carrie, you know, I, Mm -hmm. for example, I needed to stop stonewalling or disengaging when our, our emotions were getting to the point where typically you know, my defense mechanism would have been to zone out. Hmm, um, but right. the zoning out was causing problems. So th- that's a few comments. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've, uh, I- I've explained this for a while. I'm not sure which, you know, which avenue you'd like to follow from here. Well, Tony, in your first chapter of your book, Before You Split and Find What You Really Want for the Future of Your Marriage, I want to take us to that moment where you uh, were, I think, believe that you were actually on a date with Carrie and then something happened and you literally ripped your wedding ring off your finger. And I thought you would throw it in his face, but you threw it on the ground. You're probably kinder than I am. (laughs) Where, and that was basically, um, 
correct me if I'm wrong, you were just basically saying, hey, I give up. Like, this is, this is it. So from that moment, can you take us to the point where you realize that you need to be self-aware and to humbly come before God? Because there's a, there's a huge journey between yeah, those, right. mm-hmm. those moments. Yeah, the, that moment was just one of extreme frustration. You know, we've, and so I, I know what it's like to go around the block and back, and it's like you're having the same argument over and over, and it just recycles, and you, you really feel stuck. So I think that moment of frustration was, was just an expression of, I can't do this anymore. Which I, you know, and I've heard many times as a divorce attorney in my practice, people who've reached the point who say, I can't do this anymore. Um, the transition, mm was, I would say it was many different factors put together. So, you know, there was, it, it, there was never a time where I didn't lean into my faith. So it's not as if, you know, in the time where we, our relationship was, just seemed like it was deteriorating that we, that I wasn't spending time with God and praying and, you know, reaching out at least, mm-hmm. you know, following the typical practices of reading my Bible, spending time in prayer, uh, I was connected at church. Um, so it, it's not as if w- we both weren't earnestly trying to follow our faith. Um, but in in that moment of frustration, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think that was a time where I would go to counseling, but not from the perspective that I find many people go to counseling with the initial agenda of, Okay, I'm going to tell you everything that's going on here, and I really want you to validate my position, my perspective. Um, tell me that I'm right, and tell him that he's wrong. And and I think so many people go to yeah. counseling, and myself included. I went there with that secret agenda. I never would have explained it that way, um, but underneath the surface, that you know, that was operating, and I had to ditch that perspective. I had to go to counseling Mm -hmm. with the perspective that, okay, I am playing a role in what's happening here in my marriage and I need to know what my role is so that I can play Mm -hmm. a constructive role or, you know, play a constructive part in making things better. Uh, And, you know, as well, I think there were many things, many factors. Uh, We were part of a small group and people in our small group really dug in and prayed with us uh, they encouraged us. Uh, I had a, a, a couple of close friends who would give honest feedback. Uh, and then in addition to that, I'm a reader. So, you know, it, as we're going through this, I'm I'm reading books about spiritual formation uh, and trying to apply what I'm learning. Mm-hmm. And also our small group went through a marriage course, uh, you know, sermons. We we heard sermons. I remember Andy yeah. Stanley okay. speaking and and his I Marriage series was also really helpful. So I think it was a combination of all of these oh, things yeah. that yeah. honestly yeah. God assembled as we were searching for a way through this. The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the 12th Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Hi, I'm Mike Naraki, co-creator of VeggieTales, voice of Larry the Cucumber, and author of The Dead Sea Squirrels. Get ready for more daring rescues and hilarious jokes as Merle and Pearl and their animal friends embark on a ridiculous mission to bust the kidnapped Gomez family out of Babylon. 
a Bible-themed amusement park with talking animals. Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books. Available wherever books are sold. Yeah, it sounds like you guys were in an ecosystem. You had the right elements in place that helped you get through that moment. Um, yet, you know, I, I think the longer couples are married, um, the more likely they are to have maybe not the exact same situation that uh, y'all went through in that restaurant, but but where one side or the other kind of throws down an ultimatum. I mean, mm. that was our seventh year of marriage. Yeah. Uh, we had a moment like that. So I'm curious because there's one side of it where you're the one throwing down that ultimatum. But then there's the other side where you're like, um, you're receiving it. And Carrie, <laughs> uh, we're curious, what was going through your heart and mind uh, when that ring came off and was thrown on the ground by Tony? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because that is the story mm -hmm. that opens Tony's book. But I would say to me, I was almost numb by that point. It was like one more nail in the coffin, one more, oh, what have I done today? What have I done this time? And so I would say my reaction was like, I sincerely wanted to make it better. I just didn't know how. I felt like I'm doing everything I can do. And I think the tension for me as a guy, particularly as a leader, is that I didn't have that kind of criticism at the mm -hmm. church. Yeah, I had critics, mm -hmm. you know, more than I do today because there were things in my, like, obviously, if you're that messed up at home, mm -hmm. you're some of that is going to leak into the way you treat people at work too. So it mm -hmm. wasn't like, you know, we were grown like crazy and there were lots of people who were very kind, but like, I look back on that now and I wish I could get back some of the interaction I had with people that was less than ideal. Mm. But, you know, there was that tension that definitely at work, I get rewarded for being strong and uh, leading forward. And at home, I just can't do anything right. Mm. So there was definitely that tension in my mind. But I think I was also so numb, you know, and as I slid into burnout, which was all around the same season, it was a two or three year window, maybe not that quite that long. But you know, I'm like, well, that's it. I'm going under. I'm broken. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to fix our marriage. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to make Tony happy. I'm I'm pretty much out of ideas, mm -hmm. which is why, you know, going to counseling right. and not giving up in prayer and having good people around you. And it wasn't like there was an aha moment. It's not like I went to a counseling session and it was like, oh, just go home and say five positive things and everything will be great. <laughs> like it's, it was a lot deeper than that. Mm -hmm. But I learned over a period of years, and Tony learned over a period of years, how to create a new rhythm. And in the same way, yeah. you know, as I got healthier and got out of burnout, which is, you know, what I write about in At Your Best, mm -hmm. now I've got a system where actually I know how to live in a way today that will help me thrive tomorrow. That's mm -hmm. true leadership wise, but it's also true in terms of our marriage. Like we mm -hmm. have figured out now and we don't have, not every day is perfect, but like most of them are pretty good, I'd say, Tony, um, where, you know, we're, we're much more respectful than we used to be, much more understanding. We still get on each other's nerves, right. mostly me getting on Tony's nerves. But, you know, beyond that, um, it's, 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 actually, it's actually fixable. And yeah. so mm. when Tony would come home when she was in law, and tell me about, you know, with no identifying details or whatever, but yet another couple who's like, 
yeah, I can't make this work. It just helped me think, well, maybe if a different strategy came along, you could make it work. Because I think if we had gone to a lot of counselors at the time, unfortunately, our counselor didn't say this, they would have been like, yeah, you guys are done. See ya. Uh, mm. Okay. I didn't know how to get out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's actually move there. Um, you know, growing up in a Christian house for, for both of us, uh, divorce was always off the table. Uh, I mean, we like saw... Like a swear word. Yeah, yeah. Literally. I mean, we saw couples yeah. get divorced, but it was it was always this taboo sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Tony, in your book, you talk about the difference between surviving and saving, uh, surviving and saving your marriage. So we'd love for you to um, just explain the difference and and why that's important to understand. Yeah, the surviving uh, in a marriage is what I describe as staying together in the relationship, but emotionally disconnected. And the reason that I I say that you know if you're in a really tough place uh, in your marriage, there's not just two options, there's three. Is is not because I want to move anyone off of their de- determination to stay married. So you know, divorce is not an option. Obviously, is something that I d- would aspire to, you know, and would ac- encourage people to aspire mm-hmm. to. Um, having said that, as a family lawyer, a divorce attorney, uh, I do have to recognize that in some cases, a marriage has become f- harmful or unsafe. And so, you know, I, I have to right. uh, temper that uh, where, you know, being unfaithful in your marriage may look like violence or may look like, you know, something that's just untenable. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, uh, I yeah. do you know, I, I, I want people to have that determination to push through the tough times um, because we personally have seen how much of a, a blessing there was for us on the other side. Like we had no idea. So surviving for people who are like us, who got married, who want to stay married, you know, want a long-term relationship. Um, surviving was that period of time where we didn't even necessarily want to be in the same room together. Uh, we, you know, we were married, but it was, it was tough, you know, and we've reached the point where, um, where I threw away the ring really in reality, throwing away the ring was, was me, uh, realizing that I didn't want to live with this painful version of our marriage anymore. I was ready to throw that version of our marriage out. Um, and to replace it with something mm. that's you know that's new that you don't want to throw away uh is a, it is a tough work um it's a labor of love and uh it's it's definitely worthwhile mm. in my opinion uh and i'm hoping Carrie would say the same thing i think he does <laughs> yeah i mean saving for us i think surviving would have been your basically roommates saving for us has been let's rebuild the friendship that helped us fall in love in the first place. And so that's what we've been working on now for the last 15 years. And it is a glorious friendship because often, you know, you think about it when you fall in love, what is there? Well, there's Mm -hmm. definitely an attraction. There's a personality attraction, a, a physical attraction, all those things, but you're young. And, you know, we had kids almost right away. So we feel now, because we've been empty nesters for about six years, seven years, our kids, we got, we had kids fairly young. Like 
we have a really great friendship and obviously an intimate relationship as well. Mm -hmm. But otherwise you become business partners or roommates Mm -hmm. and you see if you don't split, a lot of couples are like, well, you do your life and I'll do my life. And, you know, we're not going to get divorced, but we're actually not going to enjoy this. And we just decided that that wasn't our option. So we decided Mm -hmm. that, you know, saving the marriage for us meant not business partners, not surviving, but really learning how to develop a friendship. My favorite definition of intimacy is intimacy is shared experiences. I think that's Dallas Willard. And, you know, so we do a lot of things together, obviously as a couple, but also with friends and family. Mm -hmm. And we have, we have a better friendship than when we were first dating and much richer. Like it's so, and I think people give up on that because they say, well, the spark's gone and this isn't, you know, it's like, well, come on, work on it. Yeah. Yeah, for for us, surviving was a critical Mm. strategy to rebuilding our relationship to the place where you know we it it was a Mm. saved marriage. Um, But surviving can be uh, can be temporary. Uh, I really in drawing the distinction, I I just want people to recognize and be honest about where they're at, because. If you're in a marriage, the relationship that is supposed to be um, fundamental in your life and um, and intimate, if you don't have an emotional connection, mm-hmm. then the the pain of that unsatisfied need is going to leak out in your life somehow eventually. And what I saw in my office as a divorce attorney was that you know people had, like Carrie said, started living like roommates, or right. you know their intimate life had fallen away years ago, and uh, they felt that well, this is it. There's you know there's no turning mm-hmm. back, and and that pain can lead people into addictions or mm-hmm. mental health problems or you know other ways that um, that that pain would show up. And so just viewing where you're at honestly, um, I think if you're in a season of surviving is a win in and of itself, because then you can say, okay, what can we do now to rebuild our relationship, to rebuild exactly. that connection? Um, because it's it's entirely doable. I've talked to many couples, not, not just Carrie and I, who have gone from a place of just, you know, feeling like they could walk away, um, but mm. then rebuilding bit by bit, step by step until they have a marriage that's deeply satisfying. Yeah, I love how you're talking about the emotional connection and the attachment and the friendship. Like y'all are best friends. How beautiful is that? And I know we have some podcast family who are listening out there. I mean, like, you know, uh, we started our relationship as really good friends. And now that so much has happened in the world, we're just starting to feel a little bit distant and now we're afraid, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, okay, so we're listening, Carrie mm-hmm. and Tony, and there's little yellow flags that are coming up being like, okay, what do you need to do to create that friendship again? Is there anything that you look back on on your first 15 years and say, if if we could have done this, if we would have paid attention to those yellow flags, maybe we wouldn't have gone through everything we've gone through? I would say prioritizing your marriage and time together on your own is a is a key thing mm. for parents. Uh, you know, I think we got into that full season of life where um, we were leading and the kids had activities and, uh, you know, we're coming and going sometimes two ships passing mm. in the night. And we would, we still tried to maintain a date night, although in our tough season, it, it sort of became fight night, <laughs> but, but we did. 
Then we did try to keep having that time away on our own. Mm -hmm. The the thing is that if you're in a full season, you need to make sure that you've got time on a daily basis, pretty consistently so that you can deal with family business. So that when you do have your, your date night or your time away, it's, actually for authentic connection and meaningful mm. conversations, mm. not family business conversations. Right. Uh, I would, what would you say, Carrie? Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I think that gets into the intimacy mm-hmm. of shared experiences. And you, I read a stat years ago that said the average CEO spends 17 seconds a day talking about things of substance 17 to seconds. their children. Other than pack your lunch, get out of the house, whatever. It's like 17 seconds a day. And if you really audit it, it's amazing how much of life is transactional, mm. right? It's like, are you picking up the kids today or am I? Who's making dinner? Um, will you grab that? Like, hey, the courier is going to be here at nine o'clock. Mm. Are we ready to ship that thing? Right. Whatever. You know, like that is that is a lot of life and you really have to get beyond that. So I think, Tony, you're absolutely right. The other thing I would say is get to the bottom of your own mess. It is so mm. easy to play the game of, well, if Tony would only deal with, or Carrie would only deal with, or if he would, or if she would, or (laughs) my problem really is my spouse. And listen, if he did this, everything would be fine, right? Mm -hmm. So you play in that space. Yeah. That is not a constructive space. Mm -hmm. You you are the common common denominator of everything that's gone wrong in your life. And I am the common denominator of everything that's gone wrong in my life. Every conflict I've had with another human being, I have been involved. And so as hard as it is, you hear all these, you know, counsely things. It's like, focus on I statements, not you statements. And it's like, (laughs) yeah, "Yeah, whatever, whatever. But that actually is really helpful Mm -hmm. because I still get upset with Tony. Like there's, there's a list of things as perfect as she is. I wish she would change only because I am a flawed human being. And I'm sure Tony has a long list of things she wishes I would change. And you know what? That's a recipe for misery. So why don't you focus on you and why don't you get better and then see what you bring to the marriage? Because we're all looking for what we can get out of the marriage. Mm -hmm. What about thinking about what you can bring to the marriage? Wow. That is such a great perspective. Uh, I I would also say that um, as far Mm -hmm. as yellow flags go, there's, there's even value in watching the, the tone um, between the two of you in your everyday mm-hmm. conversation. And uh, they've done some research to show that there's that successful marriages have about a, a five to one ratio of positive communications versus mm-hmm. negative. So negative being complaints or, you know, raising a difference, but the positives can be anything from a compliment to an encouraging word to a turning toward, you know, body language, mm-hmm. affectionate touch, you know, all of those positives. And in even, I think it's easy for any couple who's in a full season of life to fall into a pattern where there are too many negatives versus Mm. the positives. Right. Tone of voice really is important too. I I think now having been married 31, almost 32 years, I guess it's 32 years. Wow. Um, No, 31. What do I know? Congratulations. A long time. Longer than most of your listeners have been alive. Uh, I can tell when Tony answers the phone or when she says good morning in the morning, I can tell what mood she's in. There's just a tone, right? 
And, um, and so you can read each other. And I think that tone of voice is really important. Apparently I sound angry and frustrated 90% of the time. So I have to really work on that around the house. And, uh, you and me, Carrie, yeah. I'm always upset about something. I don't know why. And I'm not, not even alone. saying anything. She's just like, you seem upset. It's like, I'm not upset. This is just my face. Okay. So I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and, and so the, the hack That's I've remembered, awesome. it's so simple, is treat your spouse as though she was a perfect stranger. Because if she was a stranger, I would have mm. my best face on. I would be like, hey, how are you? Great, great, great. You know, but I'm like, right. hey. Can you get this? Right? Like that's not that's not very good. So that's, I would say treat, treat your spouse like she was a perfect stranger, or like you were dating her, because then you're still trying to win her. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So no, that's a good I think word. those are a couple little hacks that deliver more than you would think. No, that's yeah, really good. That's true. really good. You know, as as we come to an end uh, of our time together, there's, um, you know, I'm sure there's some of our podcast family who who might be. Uh, you know, they, they tuned in because of the title of the episode and they are experiencing marriage burnout. And there have been thoughts that have come into their head about, should I end my marriage? I don't know if I can do this mm-hmm. any longer. Uh, we would love to hear from both of you. Just one piece of, man, if, if you were sitting down for coffee with that person right now, uh, what's one thing that you would both say to them? I would say that it's not something to rush into. If you feel like this might be the end of your marriage, Uh, I caution people to take it slow, particularly Mm -hmm. if there are kids involved. Um, But even, even if there aren't, uh, because there are probably ways that you don't see right now um, that you're contributing to the relationship the way it is. uh, And Addressing it now will only be a benefit for you for the rest Mm. of your life, for all of your relationships, even not just your marriage, but in your friendships, in your parenting, in your work relationships, whatever it is that this current crisis is trying to teach you is something that you need to pay attention to. And um, from the perspective of parents, there's this idea that you know, I, I've got problems in my life and this marriage is a big problem. It's something that I can at least pack up in a box. I can pack this relationship up in a box, put the box aside. Somebody will whisk it away. And there's one problem dealt with done. Um, but the reality that I saw through the eyes of my clients was that after the date of separation, uh, you receive a second box and inside that box, there are the financial issues having to do with separating. Mm -hmm. Um, There's the parenting schedule and how you're going to make decisions together and all of the issues that you need to work through uh, once you've separated. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then in that box underneath those issues, there are still the relationship problems that are still there because they haven't been dealt with. And as co-parents, you will be dealing with each other, uh, in most cases, um, for the rest of Mm -hmm. your lives. Uh, And your kids are going to be far, far better off and far healthier emotionally if you can deal with those relationship problems now, as opposed to taking the step of separating, which then defers the timing of oh, wow. you dealing with those issues. Mm. In the meantime, your kids, your kids grow older. It's yeah. their only one childhood. And uh, it, I would say the, 
urgent issue, the most urgent issue is just getting to the bottom of how you can manage to treat each other with more kindness and respect right now Mm -hmm. without deferring. You know, how can you dig down, dig deep, become more cooperative with each other uh, and even as as co-parents? And in the process of doing that, in the process of having real and humble conversations, sometimes people find that there's a way that they can get their, they can find their way back to that Mm. place where they see the positive qualities in each other. Again, they can see Mm. those attractive qualities that attracted you to each other in the first place. Mm. And your relationship isn't going to go back. It's not going to wind back to that wedding day. Um, But if you can find a way forward, maybe your experience will be like Carrie's and mine Mm. where it's not, we've just wound back, we've actually reached a higher place, like a better place, because now we know how to deal with forgiveness. Now we know how to be more compassionate. You know, now I know how to be more humble. Mm. So I I would encourage people to see if there are ways that you can take steps forward. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I would say just real quick, probably live in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. Um, You are the problem in your marriage, or at least half of it, probably. And so why don't you focus on getting healthy? Because a healthy mm. you produces a healthier marriage. And for me, the mantra for the last 15 years has been, I have to figure out how to live in a way today, sleep, diet, exercise, emotional health, relational health, spiritual, mm-hmm. financial, physical health. I have to figure out in all those categories how to live in a way today that will help me thrive tomorrow. Because when I'm in that space, yeah. we yeah, do better. That's good. Well, Carrie and Tony, it's been so good to have the two of you mm-hmm. on the podcast. Uh, Tony, your book, Before You Split, and Carrie, uh, your new book, At Your Best, uh, I know are available everywhere books are sold. But um, if our podcast family wants to connect with you guys more and, and dig further uh, beyond your books, where's the best place for them to connect with y'all? Even though we're together, we have separate websites. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm at uh, TonyNewhoff.com. And if you Google the the book title before you split, you will also find the spelling of my name. If Google (laughs) pick it up. Yeah, Yeah, same last name. But uh, actually, the easiest place right now to find me is just go to AtYourBestToday.com. AtYourBestToday.com. Everything will be there. Okay. That's so funny how you bring up your last name because we have like... Although your last name is difficult to spell, and I'm sure you had <laughs> lots of stories about that, <laughs> while our last name is only two letters, you know, it, the, the number of... It's wrong times. all the time, right? Yes. Exactly. All the creative the license people N? have taken. N yes. N? Yes. Two yeah. letters, I-M. M-I-M. No, yeah. that's no, no, three. No, no. no it's okay. two letters. <laughs> yeah, it's just over and over and over again. And Christina's maiden last name was two letters as well. Mm-hmm. So it's I'm just consistent. so funny. So... <laughs> Wow. <laughs> well, thank you guys. Well, Tony's maiden name was Carsicus, and I said, hey, you can do whatever you want, but if you hyphenate it, we're doomed. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, that was not an option for me. I yeah. wouldn't yeah. even go Your there. Your children be like, why, mommy and daddy? Yeah, why yeah. did you do this to us? <laughs> so many letters. Yeah. It don't make sense. Yeah. Well, we really That's enjoyed awesome. our time with y'all. Thank you for being on our podcast. Thanks, hey, Daniel. my thank pleasure, you. and thank you so much.
Oh, goodness. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you, Carrie and Tony, for your honesty and your vulnerability in sharing both the good and difficult parts of your story. I'm still chewing on the cross-section between surviving and saving your marriage and how surviving in your marriage could possibly be a part of a strategy to save it. If you want to find out more about Carrie and Tony, make sure you head to our show notes at inbetween.org slash episode 145, where we'll have all the links to today's episode. So let's get to today's tool. Complain, but don't blame. How do you talk about the issues in your marriage without World War III happening? Is it just easier to not talk about them and let them simmer underneath the surface? Well, while that may be a strategy that works in the short term, it isn't a tool that'll protect or invest into your marriage in the long run. We want to introduce you to a sentence that has been revolutionary to our marriage. Are you ready? Here's the formula. I feel about I need. Say it again. I feel about I need. This is why it's so powerful because you're probably listening to it and being like, that's awkward or I'm not sure what to put into the blanks. Many times we argue with our spouse because there is a conversation that needs to happen, but the fight occurs instead. We'll take a personal example. When Daniel's dad passed away and we were in Vancouver for three weeks, Daniel and his mom spent a lot of time together and rightly so. There were so many odds and ends of things that needed to be wrapped up. They would wake up and go out and run errands before the kids and I got up and they would come home while the kids and I were in bed, like 12 to 14 hour days. It was exhausting for them. It came to a point where I was starting to feel a tension of, I want my husband to be with us, but I also want him to be able to spend time with his mom and I did not know how to communicate that tension within myself and also to Daniel what ended up happening is we had I don't know like a three or four hour conversation where we were trying to divulge what was going to happen when we left Vancouver but also what would happen to our marriage and uh, the responsibility that Daniel feels to be taking care of his mom because now she is a widower. I wish I had known this magical formula because I truly believe that a four-hour conversation could have been shortened and concised into, I feel lonely about you spending so much time with your mom. I need one hour a day with you without your mom. So yeah, you know, earlier, Christina, you said that this statement had been revolutionary to our marriage, and it, and it really has, because for both of us, uh, with our Enneagram being Enneagram threes mm-hmm. and, and going to nines and, and just trying to shut down in, in moments of stress, uh, it's easier for us to shut down or go away instead of clearly, with this tool, explain how we're feeling yeah and state our positive need yeah exactly so instead of saying i can't believe you are or you know using those you statements like we've talked about in other conflict uh focused podcast episodes this formula is really about you it's really about how you are feeling and and what you're feeling about the thing that you're feeling and, and what you need right so i feel this about this particular situation and as a result i need this and then you let it 
you let it sit and you see how your spouse responds. Your spouse is not going to feel attacked. They're just going to feel, wow, wait, you're incredibly vulnerable mm-hmm. in that moment. And when one person is vulnerable, that actually opens the door and paves the way for the next person to be vulnerable too. So we want to encourage you today. All right, don't leave this to tomorrow because you're probably going to forget about it. But today with your spouse, and it doesn't have to be anything serious, right? It could even, you know, it could even be something like, hey, I feel hungry about dinner. I need barbecue. <laughs> you know, just something like that. Like, Great. Let's go out. <laughs> exactly. Right. And just just try it. Practice it. I feel blank about this. And as a result, I need blank and just know as you're starting to use this tool it may feel awkward and that's okay but the more that you practice and the more that you give language to how you're feeling the more that it will feel natural and also as a quick tip we use this with our children as they're communicating with each other because there's a lot of you you, 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 you," right as they're fighting Mm -hmm. but really by teaching this to them they are able to know how to express about what they feel and what they need all right, so make sure to go to inbetween.org slash episode 145 for all the show notes and for today's tool. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus podcast, two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.